Hello and welcome my partners in crime and thank you for joining me again today for another true crime case. Now these cases that I'm doing today and I say cases because there is um, two of them. It also brings in the lead box or case that you haven't seen yet but it is up on members and it's coming out for you. So by the time this one comes out you'd have already seen the lead box or case. So these are all unsolved cases, all different but have some connection or could have some connection to each other because of where the disappearances took place and the time of what they took place and what was going on in this area um, at this time. Also the police's thoughts on different things of what could have gone on and really what has been investigated by the police and what has not, right? Now, a lot of the time, it, especially in 1985, because this is 1985, 1986, 1988, murders uh, or disappearances and I think murders. So there's a lot going on here, but there has to be a warning out with this case or these cases because, you know, there's going to be some really graphic stuff here. We're going to talk about, and this, these have come up before, this paedophile ring, the Dirty Dozen. Um, also, it's going to bring up some cases, isn't it, of um, older cases that we've done, like Barry Lewis and Jason Swift and Mark uh, Tilsley. Um, these cases are going to come sort of into this because they're in the same era and they're at the same time. And they're linked in some way, I believe, or could be, right? Could be. This is all theories because two of these bodies of the, what cases to do in today have never been found at all. So it's really important that these cases are told truthfully and honestly and we look at what the information we've got in these cases. There's not a lot of information on the first case that I'm going to discuss because it was first ruled as a suicide. Um, and then, or a suicide, how did they put it in them days? A suicide or an accidental suicide to get some sexual gratification. This is what they're saying happened to this 15 year old boy, but there's evidence there to prove. And I think the inquest then changed it to um, his death was uh, not suspicious, but it was open verdict on that. So they really didn't know. So there's not much I can find on this lad. The other two, um, or the other one is uh, Kevin Higgs and we will go through his case. Uh, again, there is not much also on that case. And then the other one again is just bringing in bits of uh, Lee Boxall case in relation to the connection maybe between all of these murders. So that's an overview really, I suppose, of, the, of what's gonna this case today. So listen, if you are um, cautious about this case, because I know a lot of you don't like the cases when it involves offences against children. There's some graphic detail in here about offences that um, happen to children. And so if this case is not for you, I suggest that you switch off now. So the first case that we're going to look at in this mixture of unsolved cases, or you know, sort of you can say unsolved, but they are really unsolved, is Rhys Collins' case. Now, Rhys Collins was 15 at the time of his death in 1985. This was sort of one of the first earlier um, murders or, you know, I actually think it was a murder 
of what we're going to talk about. And then um, I think I think with Reese's case, it's very difficult because there's not much on it, as I've said in the uh, in the intro. There's really not much on this at all. So Reese was out with his mates in 1985, and then he just didn't turn up. He didn't go home. So he was reported missing after failing to turn home on the evening of 1985. His parents were told not to worry as he hadn't been gone 24 hours. Now we are talking about 1985. Today the response on the kids going missing and stuff is much more quicker than it was then. But they assumed, oh, he's 15, you know, um, his, his uh, turn up. Because I don't think they felt there was any reason to think otherwise and also that was in them times the procedure of what happened is that you had to wait 24 hours to report someone missing just in case they turned up the man could have been at the um or boy could have been at the mates couldn't he could have been anywhere we wouldn't do that now right if a child now 15 disappeared under suspicious circumstances or knew they knew he was going to come home and he didn't turn up the police would certainly be out there looking now so it's a lot different so Reese's dad, he, he just kept ringing the police and saying, listen, there's something wrong. Right, the family was ringing and ringing. There's something wrong. Several hours had gone past. This boy, who would usually just turn up home, did, was not there. He was not coming. The father knew there was something wrong. They knew. This family, you know, you know, the, but the police, as I said, in them days, you know, listen, he ain't been gone 24 hours. There's nothing we're going to do. Not, not even the police weren't even out looking for him. So in the end, after several hours, the father took the, his dog um, that would have known the scent of Reese out. Now, we've had a little dog thing before in another case. But anyway, because he, I mean, dogs have got so much more, you know, um, smelling um, ability than we have. So he went out, the dad, with their dog to look for Reese, and he found him from Croydon in London, right? This is relevant. This is really relevant to everything else about all these cases and what we're going to talk about in this case. This was 1985. This was Croydon in London. Lee's gone missing. Uh, Reese has gone missing. The father's then took the dog, looked for him. And in the local parkland, the dog led Roy, um, Reese's father, to this cluster of trees where he found Reese hanging from a belt from a tree. Now, um, terrible, isn't it, for this father? You know, couldn't get any help from the police <clears throat> because he hadn't been gone 24 hours. Takes the dog, the dog literally tracks down the boy in a local park area, the boy's found hanging. The police are called, then of course they've come out then and they've put it down to suicide by accident. Now they're saying in them days, because listen, as I said, there's not much on this case. So for the police to come out with something like that, there must have been evidence of the way he was left that would make them assume that this was a sexually orientated crime, right? Or he took his life to get some gratification, right? Um, from it. But um, it's very difficult to find anything, as I say, on this case. So this is all assumptions. I'm only thinking why the police fought this. 
Because if a young lad had just gone out and hung himself from a tree, they would have just said it was uh, death by hanging. Okay, it was suicide. They didn't. They said it was accidental death to get some sexual gratification. That's what they said in 1985. Which is suspicious in itself when you think and we look at the background of race, right? It's, it's, it's um, a strange case, this one. Now, in 1985, this was the police's assumption, okay? This is what happened. The father and the family of Reese Collins weren't having none of it at all. They couldn't believe that this was what the police were saying and also what the coroner at the time said. Because I don't think they really looked into this case thoroughly enough. Today we would have had the forensic teams in there and looking. Because what happened was, Lee had used a belt from like a raincoat or a coat. Now this, he didn't have that sort of coat. He had no access to a belt like that at all. Nothing like that. If he had found the belt lying around, the belt would have been dirty. It would have been looked like it had been outside a long time. It didn't. It was clean. The tree that was used, or that they said, said that he used, was covered in this green algae. And body were clear from any of that algae of that tree. So, you're meant to have used a belt that you didn't own, that clearly was quite new, to hang yourself from a tree covered in this green algae, but you've got none of this on you at all. You are left hanging from this tree in a position that makes people think this is a sexually orientated um, crime, right? Whether by yourself or your own hand or by somebody else's. So there's lots of issues here. Today, that would have been suspicious right away. Right away. Because how can you try and harm yourself when you are, <laughs> when there's a belt that you haven't owned and the, they've got nothing on you at all that would have any relation to this tree? So if he had nothing on him from this tree, then somebody else was there. Somebody else was there at the site of this, and I'm going to say murder because it definitely was murder, right? This boy was definitely murdered. He did not take his own life at all because the evidence clearly shows it was impossible for him to have done that. So, listen, if this case had come up now, of course, it would have been totally different, wouldn't it? It would have been totally different. Now, when the, there was a second inquest and it was changed then to, you know, um, an open verdict on his death because the coroner agreed that there were certain issues with his death that didn't really warrant the first um, cause of death was, was what they said. So it's an open verdict. But that doesn't give the family anything, does it? It gives them absolutely nothing. It gives them absolutely nothing. We know, don't we, that Reese now, you know, <laughs> there's something really tragic 
about this case because it's just been left forgotten about and someone has definitely here got away with murder. So as the, um, I think I'll show you a little clip of it actually and um, I've done a, a clip um, of it before and I think it was a clip, it's a, it's a the inquest, the only news article that you can find on recent Collins case is the inquest where one of his lads, his friends, he, this young lad, said that Reese had been locked in a house by a group of his mates, as a joke, right? They had tied a bit of wire around his neck, not tightly, and left him in the dark because Reese Collins was so scared of the dark. So that's the only bit of evidence here that I can find anything to do with this because everyone just assumed he committed suicide and that was it. If Reese Collins was so scared of the dark because after this incident happened he came out of there absolutely crying and really upset and I think this is probably why the first inquest may have thought that he took his own life because of that but he didn't. He didn't. Because Reese didn't like the dark. He was so scared of the dark. So why would he go out, not come home, go to a parkland in a cluster of trees in the dark to do sexual acts and using strangulation as part of that? But, you know, um, these days, as I said, we would look at this case totally different. Now, at the time of this case, and we're going to have to come into this a little bit later because I'm going to want to move on to um, Kevin Hicks' case now. But anyway, that's the overview of Reese Collins. And, and to tell you the truth, I feel so sorry because I could only find <coughs> a photo, one photograph. I could only um, find that little bit of a newspaper clipping of this young lad's life, this 15-year-old, that life was taken from him, absolutely, by someone or some persons, should I say, um, and I think we need to bring him into this case because of what else was going on in this area at the time. So this is why I want to now go on to um, Kevin Hicks' case. Okay, let's have a look at Kevin's case. Now, Kevin Hicks, this is like, I'm going to do a little bit of an overview before we go into a lot of other stuff. So Kevin Hicks, he went missing um, from Addison, Addison Com um, Road, in Croydon um, in the UK again another case very very close actually these cases are all linked by areas as well so very very close and he went missing on the 2nd of March 1986 a year after um, Reese Collins was found in the way he was so the timing is important here and also the area of these two cases are important now he was 16 at the time and only went missing now Kevin was at the time wearing blue jeans, um, white trainers, um, a lacrosse jacket with white at the bottom, black at the top and then with a red line I think or, uh, on the top of the chest. Um, he was 5 foot 10 and he had brown hair. Now it's important now when you think about the distinguishing part of Kevin Hicks because Kevin Hicks, it is said, and I hope I'm right in this because this is the research I've done. He had one blue eye and one hazel eye. So this is important 
to think. When you're thinking, has anyone seen this boy? Right? One blue eye, one brown. So if you don't remember Kevin, what he was wearing and everything else, that's his eye colours. It's important that that's part of this because it brings us into other little things down, down the line here. And um, I think this, I think this is like, because it's the overview, I think Kevin would be 51 years old now, going on 52, um, and has never been seen really from this day. So it was a cold Sunday evening at about 28.20 or 8.40 p.m. Uh, in the evening, or 20.40, if you'd like to have it that way. Now he walked to his local shop, right, the spa in, and that was about 300 yards from his home. It is said that Kevin could see from his window the shop. I've also put a map up highlighting the walk from his home to the shop for you to see just how close this shop was. Uh, not People are not sure if he made it to the shop or not. Because there was no CCTV. But there must have been witnesses. But anyway, we, we'll, we'll come back to this in a minute. Okay. So Kevin Hicks, let's go this, get into this case in a little bit more depth now. That was the overview. He's left his home at 8.40pm to go to the local shop, 300 yards down the road. Have a look at the maps, you can see the distance. And um, wearing all this stuff, he had one blue eye, one brown eye. It was close to his home, so he would have gone into this shop quite a lot. There was no CCTV, of course there wasn't in 1986, but he was also then seen again at 10pm by somebody else, right? So that's the overview of this case. Okay, so poor old Kevin. He, uh, he, went, he went missing in 1986 while walking to this local shop in this Adacom um, street in Croydon. Um, he was never seen again, but in 2016, the Metropolitan Police actually did say that they believed that he had been murdered. Now, Kevin was described as a happy teenager with no problems at school, and he had been applying for jobs in the weeks leading up to his disappearance. So now we hope, okay, he's quite happy at home. He um, has been applying for jobs. That means he's not intentioning of going anywhere on his own. Um, he was doing quite well at school. And so... We can rule out, can't we, that this boy's just got up and left at, you know, 8.40 in the evening with one pound in his pocket. We can rule that out straight away. So now we know, okay, something really terrible has happened to Kevin. Um, so on the 2nd of March, 1986, he spent a normal day with his family. As I said, it was a Sunday at their home in Sissonhurst Road and Addison, Addison, in Croydon, right? At around 8.30pm, he told his mum that he needed to buy some eggs for the next day because he had an O-level economics exam because in them days, we used to do economics, you know, do a bit of cooking and all that. I don't know if they still do now, but I used to love it. So I can see that, you know, but at 8.40 at night, um, to go and buy eggs, he had this pound to go and buy the eggs. Now, well, this is now what confuses me, right, about this case. There's a few things that confuses me about this case. That is one of them. Because if this, this had been a Sunday, he'd had all day, you know, he hadn't mentioned before to his mum that he had to go and get some eggs, but 
he, that was what he said. And as I said, it was a normal day. There was nothing untoward happened that day. He didn't do anything that day. But that's what he said at 8.30. And again, then he just left then about, you know, 8.40 to go to the shop and pick up these eggs. Now, as I said, the shop was a couple of minutes walk. It's a couple of minutes walk from his home. He had a pound. And as you could see the shop from his bedroom window, instead of the tree. And, um... That was it, and the, the shop I think was a sparring shop and it was in Lower Addis, Addison Com Road. Now Kevin was last seen by someone at 10pm in Shirley Road, walking in the general direction of his home. Now, um, his poor mum and dad, right, Terry and uh, Derek, died without knowing what's happened to their son. And now I must apologise now to... Um, the sister, Alexandra Hicks, because I couldn't find a photo of his mother. I found a photo of his father and I found a photograph of her. I couldn't find one. I, I couldn't be sure it was his mum or not. And um, so I, could, I didn't use the photo of his mother. But you know, his mum died 10 years prior to the father dying. And you know, they fought and searched for years for something, you know, for their son. They really did. They, they just um, never stop looking. So it's very, very sad. But that's the reason why there's only a picture of the father, and you'll see the slide of the father and, the, and um, Alexander, his sister, who's his sister to this day, continues to look for um, Kevin and um, keep the awareness out there. Um, so in 2017, the Metropolitan Police again asked for this, um, you know, issue, this appeal for the public to come forward or for Kevin himself to come forward. Listen, Kevin didn't leave that house himself for any other reason. He wouldn't have left with just a pound and gone off and never ever come back at all. It's very rare that that happens. I mean, it could have, there's a lot, there's a few scenarios I'm going to talk about here with Kevin. And of course that could have been one of them. Um, you know, um, but I'm, I just don't think it, it is, I think something very sinister has gone on here and um, as we go through in this case and it comes out of lots of different things, um, I'll leave it up to you to make up your own mind what could have happened to um, Kevin. So listen, you know, the Met, as I said in 2017, they were really done this thing and they, they, they was pushing again for more information. They put out £20,000 actually reward for in information leading to a conviction. So as far as the Met Police are concerned, um, Kevin is dead and to tell you the proof I probably think Kevin was dead that night really he, he, I think that's really what happened to Kevin and uh, I think the police think that as well you know when you think your son says to you at 8.30 at night um, on a Sunday just popping down the shop mum because I've got an O-level exam tomorrow. I mean, it would be a GCSE or an A-level now, wouldn't it? I need some eggs. She says, all right, lad, give us him a pound. And off he goes. And from that day, in 1986, Kevin has never been seen or heard of again. How terrible it must be for this family. And, you know, you've got to, you know, give the sister some credit for the continuation to find some evidence for her boy, for her brother. You know, the son of, you know, Derek 
and Terry. It's just really um, upsetting when you think about it, isn't it? So as throughout these cases, I'm going to be putting up these appeals, you know, if you need, if you want to, if you don't have any information or you've got any information on these cases, you can phone these numbers and everything. And this, as with this um, video goes on, you'll be seeing these flashing up and stuff. And also Kevin and different things that, um, um, that I would like you to take a look at um, then and now and see. And, um, you know, see if you can, if it jogs your memory in any way. So anyway, let's get back to the case. So let's now look at the facts, right? So the police are saying this is what they believed happened to Kevin. He must have met someone that night, well, clearly, um, in the hour and a half or the 19 minutes that the person, and then that person attacked him. Perhaps the suspect didn't mean to kill him, but it is clear that Kevin's body must have been disposed of that night. Okay. Okay. So let's go now right back to the day. It's turned out that over the years that um, there has been, I think it was found out after Kevin's disappearance, that he was receiving um, presents, gifts, quite expensive gifts, and was keeping them quite secret. He didn't tell anybody. Well, he didn't tell his parents. He didn't tell his parents at all. So then that brings up grooming, right? Or you would think wouldn't you? Today we would think grooming, because grooming went on there in them days, without a doubt, just in a different form. Now it's usually done online, in them days it was done more in contact. But I don't know if it was grooming, because there's some real issues here. So then we have Kevin, this is, this is what the timeline shows, that Kevin left his house at 8.30, probably on a ruse, to say he was going to buy some eggs. And he left the house at 8.40 p.m. They don't know if Kevin had brought the eggs or not. Why not? Because there's no CCTV. Well, the police, they investigated, and I don't know because I can't get hold of the case files on this case. Wouldn't you go and ask the shopkeeper if Kevin Hicks was in here last night, because you know the time he left the house to walk to the shop to buy the eggs, and now if they didn't know Kevin, which they probably did because it was local to his home, you know, 300 mile, uh, metres away, you know, was this lad in here? Was he in here with somebody else? Did he buy the eggs? It's, it's quite simple. What if they didn't know Kevin? They could give him a description, couldn't they? They could give the description of him, the clothes he was wearing, the eyes, one blue, one brown. If you don't remember the clothing and everything else, you're going to remember that. You may not say it, but you're going to remember it. Because the first thing we do, isn't it, is look in people's eyes. You're serving someone. But I think they would have known Kevin in this shop. They must have. They must have known him. He was local to the area. He was 300 yards from his house. So anyway, all right. So we don't know if he brought any eggs. So where was he for 90 minutes? So it's all right the police saying that he left his home, he met someone, they, you know, attacked him, whether it's by accident or whatever, he was dead. So what about the witness then, 90 minutes later, on Shirley Road, that said that she saw Kevin walking home? She didn't say that she saw Kevin walking home in the distance of his home, in a direction of his home, in distress. She didn't say that he was running home. 
She said he was walking home. So I believe that Kevin did meet someone. I believe that, I don't know if Kevin was groomed. I'm not sure. Did Kevin meet someone? Have a relationship with someone? Now a groomer in them days, or in these days, you know, this boy was what, five foot 10? He was 16 years old. He could have been sexually active. We don't know because we don't know anything about Kevin. Not really. Um, he could have been straight or gay, so we don't know, because groomers can be either men or women. It could have been someone local, and I think this is maybe one of the scenarios I want to talk about, that maybe he was having an affair with someone for 90 minutes. He went and saw someone. He was doing something. He was doing something. So some of this just doesn't add up in this case. It just doesn't add up. So there's a couple of scenarios here, right? One, Kevin could have just thought, sod this, I'm off, I'm leaving, gone. I don't think that happened. Yes, someone was buying Kevin expensive gifts. He, they were. Kevin would have told someone. He didn't tell his parents, he didn't tell anyone like that. But he would have told someone. His friends. Were the friends talked to? Because if I was now opening this case up again as a cold case, they'd be the ones that I'd go for in this school, his mates, someone knows something. So I agree with the police there. I agree with the police there. Someone knows something. But whether the person that he was having a relationship with, who was buying him these expensive gifts, is a person that took Kevin's life or made, you know, the circumstances that made him disappear is unknown, isn't it? But if you have seen someone for 90 minutes and then someone's seen you then walking home and I'd like to more question the person because that person would have been then the last person to see Kevin alive. Who else did they see? What was the estate was he in? Did you really see him? Was it really him? You know there's questions to be asked here in this case when you're investigating a case. We would have been more in these days more thorough, more aggressive I think on how we would look at this case. But then there's another scenario, that because there is a lot going on in this area. So of course, Kevin could have met someone, had a relationship with someone, thought great, got made him bother and getting me eggs because I've seen someone I'm walking home. And then as he was walking home, then he was then taken by somebody else. That is possible. That is possible in this area at this time in 1985 what was going on in this area especially to do with uh, paedophile rings and stuff like that this is what was really happening here so there's a lot of scenarios but some of the theories may be far-fetched but we have to have an open view here on what could have happened to Kevin because there is no information or any evidence anywhere of him since that night. That was it. Gone. Now I think there was an anonymous phone call um, a few years later. Uh, I think it was uh, 19, 1996 there was an anonymous phone call and someone called the Croydon advertiser and said that they knew, that she knew so it was a girl, where Be um, Kevin's body was. So uh, the scenario is that the police sort of did look and everything, but this could have been the person that he was seeing. I believe he was seeing a girl who was buying in these gifts, probably an older woman, 
He could have been having an affair. There could have been something going on. This woman could have been married, right? And or it could have been a child that saw what was going on. It could have been, or it could have been the paedophile ring. Someone else that was in that room at the time when things were happening to Kevin, that then rang and said, "Listen, I know what's happened because." As I've said before with paedophile rings, there are kids that are born into it and there are kids that are brought into it. Brought into it. Not all of them are murdered. Some survive. And it could have been one of them that tried to reach out and say, I know what happened. So I don't think we should make it a false allegation that this person's made. This could be a real, real allegation. So as we go on, with this case, this is where this case starts to open up, I think, in, in where I think of what was really going on in this area at this time. And this also now, now brings in the Boxall's case sort of back into this as well. So I think when we even look at Reese's case and we look at um, Kevin's case, we cannot um, rule out this paedophile ring that was around, or one of the paedophile rings that was around at the time of these um, disappearances and murders. So we've looked at this gang before and this is the Dirty Dozen gang, right? This is a, a paedophile ring that was, um, in, you know, run out of Hackney, really. Um, that's where their sort of base was. There was lots of people in it. Um, more than we know, more than what I'm going to show you on slides here. These are the main characters that have been caught for certain crimes that I'm going to show you on here of this um, Dirty Dozen paedophile ring. Uh, there was loads, probably into the hundreds, that were members of this ring. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of cases. I'm going to put a slide up which shows you the case of... Um, little Barry Lewis. Um, then we had Mark um, Tide, uh, Tilsley. Then we have, um, and if you look at this case in relation actually to Jason Swift case, Jason Swift was about the same age. They look very similar actually in age. The thing is with paedophile rings, you have paedophile rings that have got lots of different paedophiles in them, like lots of different types of children. So they have specific wants and needs from their victims. So just because these boys are older and taller doesn't mean that they wouldn't be victims of a paedophile ring. Some of them love it, the challenge, more. And um, you know when I think when you think about um, Kevin Hicks Yes, he was being given expensive gifts and probably groomed. That wouldn't have been, um, I don't think, the actual ringleader, you know, Sidney Cook, you know, hissing Sid's way of um, getting kids. Because if he wanted this boy, they would have just took him. They would have just took him. You know, I think with Mark, I think it was a 50p bag of sweets, they, they, you know, and um, I think with Barry, who was six years old at the time of his abduction and uh, murder, was um, just literally lifted off the streets, thrown in the back of the car and gone. These people um, in this paedophile ring 
were terrible individuals. So would they have took Reese and hung him up and left him like that after abusing him? Absolutely, they would have done that. Would they have took Kevin off the street, thrown him in the back of the car and uh, raped and murdered him? Absolutely. And I think, would they have taken um, Lee Boxall, and that's the case that we've just done, um, because he was either knew too much or because um, he was going to say something about the abuse that was going on in that shed, absolutely, they would have, they would have, um, these are very, very dangerous, sadistic people. I think the judge in um, little Barry Lewis's case said it all really about them, it's just that, you know, these are not really human beings, are they? You know, they're just not. And it's, I think, yeah, I think you have to watch the the cases to really get a really idea of this this gang and what's really going on uh, in London and in Croydon area and Sutton area where this was happening in Hackney and all. You know, it, this radius was quite large. I think Mark was taken from um, Berkshire area, but um, only forty minutes drive from London. And do I think that these were callous enough just to chuck some in the back of car and drive? Absolutely. I think with uh, little Barry, Barry was taken uh, off the streets. He was um, going raped by about eight um, men from this gang. Uh, not all of them were convicted for it. Um, he was still alive, um, but they thought he was dead. <laughs> they thought he was dead. But he moved, and then they had to get rid of the body. Now, I think it was Leslie Bailey that dumped that body. And uh, this just shows you how, what the front these people have got. Because with little Barry, as Leslie Bailey was going to dump his body, run out of petrol. So he carried that body of that boy, who was dying, drugged up, dying, to uh, a garage, filled up some petrol, and got a lift back to his car with Barry, um, and then um, Barry's body was found a mile um, up the road from where that car had broken down from petrol. So these people have got some front. These people don't care about the law. These people don't care about anything. They didn't. So any of these victims that we're talking about here in these cases could have been a victim of this paedophile ring. Now, the um, I think I think. Kevin has been sort of, they think this is what may have happened to Kevin, but I don't know if, um, as I said, I don't know if they're going to buy him expensive gifts. One of the groomers may have, uh, you know, they may have done it um, and then used him and then passed him on. That could have been the case, but I don't know. There's something not right about Kevin's case when it comes to this grooming or paedophile ring. Because if the person saw him at 10 o'clock, he'd already had the meeting for 90 minutes. Where was he? Did the police investigate? Did they ask? Has any, you know, did they ask in them days? The really important questions. You know, we're talking about 1986 now, very long time ago, isn't it really? And so what do people remember? But listen, this boy's body's never been found. It's never been found. Nothing about him. If I, if I was looking into this as a cold case, and I hope someone picks this up as a cold case because it's a very interesting case, there is evidence out there. There has to be. 
Where was Kevin getting the gifts from? He would have told someone. Not his mum, not his family, but a mate. They always tell. They always tell. Always. Who did he see for 90 minutes? If the eyewitness is correct in that was him at 10 o'clock at night. Where had he been? Where had he been? Who had he met? Listen, with this crime, I don't know if it's the um, uh, Dirty Dozen ring. I just don't know. I, I wouldn't rule him out, but it wouldn't be my Pacific look. Unless there's something I don't know, because I know that the police were at that time investigating this paedophile ring and others um, at that time. So maybe they thought it could have been that. Listen, there's 17 plus cases outstanding, which they think are related to this paedophile ring of young children of all ages. Some have been, bodies have been found, some have not. And that is excluding the three cases that I've just talked about. So there's many, many more serious crimes that need, that are cold cases that are probably related in some way to this gang or others that was working out of Croydon area or Hackney area in London in the 70s and the 80s. Actually, right up until the 90s, to tell you the truth. So the police did, as I say, try and really, you know, focus on investigating them and stuff, but that investigation was stopped. So I think this, you know, sting operation, all this undercover operation they was trying to do was um, definitely directed at the Dirty Dozen gang because they were so terrible, these people. And there was plenty of evidence around that there was this grooming ring, you know, operating in this area of London and around this at least at these times of all these disappearances and uh, the murder um, of uh, Reese. Now Essex and the Met Police together, because you had um, Barry Lewis's body dumped in Essex, so then that brings in a lot. So we knew that they was, and there was lots of other bodies actually found in Essex and um, surrounding areas. So we knew that they were using London and staff and just outskirts of London to get the kids. These groups were then, um, you know, uh, doing what they did. And then they would be killing or dumping these bodies around Essex and different places because Essex has lots, lots of greenery space, as does Hertfordshire and all these sort of places that they used. Uh, so we know that sort of what they was doing. Now that operation was called um, Stranger Operation, Operation Stranger, and it tried to identify and break up these sort of paedophile rings. Um, and both these boys, right? And that includes um, all three actually, um, including Lee Boxall, could have fallen foul to this type of predator. Um, now, was this really fully investigated at this time? Uh, probably not. Right. So I think, you know, as we talked about Sydney Cook before in these other cases, you can really understand what this paedophile ring is really about. And um, we've covered them, and we're probably going to cover this paedophile ring and uh, probably hissing Sid and, and that because he was like the ringleader of this and um, there's a lot really um, about this paedophile ring there's a lot so listen there was this detective that led an investigation actually um, into the Britain's most notorious you know child abusers and said that the file could provide evidence for Scotland Yard to investigate the, the alleged uh, allegations of 
Westminster um, paedophile ring. Now listen, when we're looking at that, you're looking at different sort of uh, paedophile rings, so, you know, like your Jimmy Savills and all this, you know, what they think the higher class ones, you know, the ones with the more money, right? Um, uh, you know, the dirty dozen were certainly not in that league, but they would have all known each other. Believe it, they would have all known each other. So uh, I think his name is Roger Soldier, who said that he was delighted that if the Metropolitan Police were to reopen this um, Operation Orchard, where they were looking into lots of different things, and the inquiry into Sydney Cook, um, this gang, this dirty dozen, you know, paedophile ring, um, which abducted, abused and murdered lots of children in the 70s and the 80s. And this was based out of this Kingsmead estate in Hackney in London. This is where they were based. So the murders of three children is Jason Smith, Barry and Mark. Um, now, I think Barry was six and Mark was seven and um, Jason was 14 at the time of their murders. Uh, and he believed that, and on the evidence that they had collected at this time, that's who believes that there is 17 plus more cases um, or of unsolved crimes related to all these. Uh, and I think, you know, what, I don't know why, even to this day, because these are now a lot of cold cases and we can't forget about these paedophile rings because they may not be in your face now and they may not be doing that um, where they're taking kids off our street. I mean, that still happens, right? But I also spoke about when we talk about paedophile rings is that kids now are either brought up into it, born into it, okay? And so, you know, in the 80s, 70s and 80s and early 90s, it was easier, wasn't it, to take children, our children, from the streets because there was no CCTV. The investigating skills were different of the police. It's much harder to find people um, like predators like this. Today, it's much more difficult for them to do this sort of thing. That doesn't mean to say that these paedophile rings are not still happening. They've just gone underground. And if they were picking children up off our streets willy-nilly, we would soon find them. So these cases, right, and especially this of Collins, uh, Hicks and Boxall, are in some way related because of the area of where they lived and at the time of you know the year 1985 1986 1988 were all in relation to other crimes that were happening in that area the other thing is with Lee Boxall is that there was the paedophile sort of group or ring happening you know in the shed and if you want to know more about that case you can look at the full case on that so and i've said before that lee was again i think it's five foot seven 15 at the time of his disappearance um pedophiles like certain looks and so he could have been um and as i said this gang if they'd wanted him they would have just took him. I think it's more the case that Lee found out what was going on at the shed 
and uh, in the end they had to kill him and uh, again his body has never been found. So listen, these cases are really all unsolved cases. Rhys Collins' um, body is buried but his family still need answers. His mum and dad's passed away now but there's other family members that still need answers to really what happened because really here on the evidence just by reading it in black and white you can see that there was someone else present at the time of Reese Collins murder because that's what it was if someone left the scene why did they leave the scene and could this murder of this boy also be one of them you know the um, paedophile rings that were going on at that time Absolutely it could have. Don't think all oh, their MO is the same. It's not. Absolutely it could have. Because Reese was scared of the dark. He would never have gone to a parkland with trees. With somebody else or not. There was somebody there. And if Lee's hands were clean and everything else was clean, he hadn't touched the tree. Or the belt. Or the belt. Today we have forensics and that would have sorted that out quite quickly. But do I believe that um, Reese Collins took his own life, even by accident? Absolutely not. I don't. And as we now move on to Kevin Hicks, um, I don't know if Kevin Hicks was taken by the Dirty Dozen Gang or any other paedophile ring at that point. I can't say that it wasn't. But to me, there's things that don't add up here with this case. Who was giving Kevin expensive gifts, which he chose or was told not to talk about? These are the questions that we need to be looked at. Why didn't he tell anyone? Did he really go to buy an eggs or was it a ruse to get out? Now, in them days, you couldn't just text someone, meet me down the road. So it was a Sunday. So where had he been on the Saturday? Where had he been on the Friday? Saying he was at home on a Sunday and everything was normal, all right, you know, okay. But he was he had arranged to meet somebody. He had. So when? How many prior days to that? The Saturday, the Thursday, the Friday, you know, all this. They should look back. These are the questions that should have been answered here. Why didn't the shopkeeper, why wasn't he asked about the eyes? How didn't he know that Lee brought eggs or not? This is the issue here with these cases. You know, did he really need eggs? Did they go to the school and say, listen, did this lad have an O-level economics exam tomorrow? Was he lying? If so, why was he lying? There's questions there. So do I believe that this was a, a paedophile ring that took this boy no. I believe it was someone local. I believe he was having an affair with something. Something was going on. Something went wrong. Something went wrong. I think Lee's body is probably local to that area. And if questions were asked more in this local area, and also his school friends and everything else, this case could still be broken. If it was that, it could still be broken. As for Lee, um, Boxall case, and you can watch that case, um, Yes, I do think it was uh, a paedophile ring that took him, or it was a paedophile gang that 
would not and could not have this boy start in trouble. And so I think he was murdered for what he knew. So anyway, you know what to do. If you found this case interesting, you can put your thumbs up. You can subscribe at any time. You can catch this case on Spotify on our Let's Have a Chat About Murder. You can um, catch up, actually, pre previews of all the cases are now going to be on our um, Facebook site. So little bits of previews of the cases coming up, little bits of filming. I've been doing it myself. You know, I think murder... Um, Murder Mornings is coming back and I think this on a Thursday I'm going to try and do that on a Thursday so please join me for that have any questions ready for that but listen this case these people these poor children and they were children went missing many many years ago over 30 odd years ago and there's been no evidence of two of these children uh, Lee Boxall and um, uh, Kevin Hicks if you know anything, please have a look. Call 101. Have a look at the um, slides I've put up for information. And if any of you, by any chance, know anything, anything, whether you think it's the most smallest piece of thing, evidence that's irrelevant to you, ring up. Say something. Let's get these bodies found. Anyway, thanks for joining me. Until the next time. Bye-bye.